0: Hey, Stranger Rangers. This is Bree. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. I have a pretty lengthy, I think it's going to be a pretty lengthy case. I've got like six pages of oh, damn. notes here. So
1: we're um, we talking like two episodes lengthy. I think I can get it done in one. Okay. I
0: think I think we're good. I think I'll be able to cruise right through it. Um, so if you're on the road,
1: make sure to pick the no highways route. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Take the scenic detour yeah. through all of the neighborhoods and um, yeah, just I was going to say day daydream, but don't, don't daydream. Don't You're I, driving. <laughs> I was totally daydreaming on my drive over here, and I just went directly past your street, and I was like. This
1: doesn't look... Oh, that's the convenience store. Okay, I need to turn around. (laughs) I've done that, and I know where I live. (laughs) Down this street, they all start looking the same. Yeah, And then so, like, in one year, Kara joked that she, for Christmas, was going to go wrap one of the poles on the edge of our street in yeah. like reflective tape. So I uh-huh. would know where
0: to turn. <laughs> I have to look for the yellow like yes. telephone yes. poles because yeah, everything looks so, so similar. Yeah, that's funny. So, so th- don't daydream, yeah. but um, yeah, maybe listen to this episode on your longest commute. So this is the story of Angelique. She will be known in this case as Angel and Vonda Goyena. Okay. So, this case takes place in Norfolk, Virginia in 2007. So, Angel, as she'll be known in this case, she's the baby of the family by a long shot. She's got three older siblings, but the age difference is of 16 years Damn. from her next, you know, the oh, next the youngest, youngest the sibling. Okay. So, she wow. is, when you say the baby of the family, she's literally the baby of the family. Wow. She's like Molly. Yeah, that's Our, a big age my difference. My little sister. Yeah. Um Angelique is just this really I don't know how I don't know the right word to use to describe her, but she she loves poetry, she loves fantasy, she's really into mythology, she's got a big imagination, she's somebody that loves to go to like renaissance fairs oh, okay, and Fun. all of that, which we have a couple of those that happen every year in Oregon. Um, one of them, I don't know if you would consider it a Renaissance fair, but in Ashland, Oregon, there's the Shakespeare festival that happens Mm -hmm. every year that draws in people from
1: every corner of the world,
0: every corner of the world. I haven't been myself, but I've heard it's just absolutely awesome. Plus Ashland is a really beautiful part of Oregon, But in addition to all of that, Angelique was super smart. She graduated at the top of her class in 1990, and she was just a really, really sweet girl. She always wanted to believe in and find the good in everybody, you know, just somebody that would always give people the benefit of the doubt, Yeah, you know, and she loved to journal as well. And this is where she would keep her daily thoughts. This is where she liked to write down all of her poetry and the part two to this story is her mom, Vonda. Vonda is 74 years old, and Angel has pretty much taken on the role of being her caretaker. Actually, I'm going to backtrack on our math a little bit, because 16 years is the difference between Angel and her next oldest sibling. She's not 16 years old in this case. She's actually oh. 35. But still, 74 minus 35 still puts you right around 40. Okay. So gotcha. I I, I jumped the gun on that. Sure. Going along with that math a little bit. But, you know, nonetheless, she still would have been in her 40s. And and very, well, relatively young when she had her first three right. children. So, with... Angel being her mom, Vonda's caretaker, this is because Vonda has dementia. She has a heart condition. Mm. She's not in great health. And this was her full-time job, basically, on top of also having another job where she worked in a sandwich shop. Okay. So she's a very busy, committed 35-year-old woman. Now, her mom, Yolanda, was described as being being a very creative woman. She had a great sense of humor. I just pictured this, you know, just this fun, loving young spirited woman. Yeah. And so these two were very, very much so best friends. They were thick as thieves. They were described as being a package deal. I mean, you (laughs) very rarely saw one without the other and they shared a love of nature reading. They loved to go to the beach and overall just spending time with each other. And one of their other shared interests is that they were both into um, a pagan spiritual practice called Wicca. Yeah, okay. Or being being Wiccan um which I really don't know a, a ton about. Um I think a common misconception of being Wicca, so I've heard and it it being intertwined into the pagan religion as I think some people instantly hear that and they think of like Oh, um, black magic, um, you know, dark spiritual practices, but it's really not that, um, it's actually a really, really beautiful practice. It's all about nature. Right. You look at the world as, you know, this mother goddess and, and embracing, you know, every, every element that the earth has, has to offer. So. It was really kind of fun for me to like to dive into more into yeah. that because I know a couple people in my life that do practice that, but I never really taken the time to figure out what it was yeah. all about, you know?
1: I've only known one person personally to practice it, and unfortunately, they were the type of person that um, didn't know how to explain it well, mm. and they... Um, yeah, I'll just, I, I think I'll just leave it at that. She, I don't know much of it because she didn't. She talked about it a lot, but didn't know how to explain it well. Sure, and probably caused like some misconceptions yeah. for you
0: yeah. a little bit. So within this practice, they were also very very into like reading tarot cards and doing yeah. palm reading and all of that stuff, looking into each other's future and fortune. Um, I've never done a tarot card reading. I it to be perfectly honest, it kind of freaks me out. I I will get very fixated. I know that I would get very fixated on what was read what back was to me, you. Yeah. and would start to like look into things way deeper than maybe I should.
1: Yeah, I've had my cards read once, and that was uh, my mother in law had a book get published. Called Devil's Ink, which is a fantasy book. Mm-hmm. And she thought it'd be fun for the launch to hire some tarot re- card readers. Sure. And she hired me to do henna for her book launch, right? Oh, yeah. That was a long time ago. That was a time long flies. time ago. But they read my cards and it was all good stuff. And um, I, it wasn't anything that was... That seemed scary or anything for me. It was all very generic things like, oh, you're very artistic and you're very, you know, free and loving. Da, da, da. Sure. And I was like, I, you just saw me do Hannah, dude. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just totally <laughs> just saw me. One thing I've always, always have wanted... Um, to have done is have my palms read. Oh, okay. So if any listeners can read palms, I will send you pictures of my palms if you'd like. There you go. <laughs> um, I don't have a lifeline. Oh. On either hand. Well, we know That's that to not, not be true. It's right? I'm here. I think <laughs> I'm here. You're right in front of me. Um, but it's always really, uh, and I did freak one person out. I was at a fair and they were outside their booth and Um, I might've been a little tipsy, but, um, I was like, I kind of want to get my, my, my palms read and Kara's like, Oh, come on, we got to go. And I just walked up to the person. I was like, look, I have no lifeline. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And they're like, Oh my gosh, can I read your whole hand? I was like, I gotta go. (laughs) Oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah, I have no lifeline on either hand, which is really weird. Crazy. Yeah. So if any of you do read that... Um, that would be interesting. Let me know. <laughs> maybe we'll take you for your
0: birthday. Wouldn't that be fun? That would, would be, be fun. Because it's, it's I might do that. It's weird. I might do that. Well, we yeah. Do that. Tarot cards, palm reading, Ouija boards, like all of that. I'm like, oh, don't really know if I want to dive into it. Yeah. I think the closest thing I would get to maybe like that um, area <laughs> of... Exploring is I would really love to sit with a medium. But not just any medium like Tyler Henry. Oh my gosh. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Medium
0: Uh status. Like some yeah,
1: that something like
0: that would just blow my mind.
1: Um there's another guy who I've been watching that does um readings in a in a cab. Oh. And he just freaks out writers. Um not freaks them out, but you know what I mean? He he reads them and he talks to spirits with them. This will probably all go to the end of the episode, but yeah, it's uh I forget what it's called, but he does readings in the cab and it just blows people's minds because they're not looking for it. Right. Right. They're just they happen to be in the right place at the right they time. They just once in they're like, yeah. hey, your grandpa says that you should probably ditch that asshole yes, that you're dating. Yes. Stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, even they got blindsided. Exactly. By that yeah. So weird. Okay. So next I'm just going to touch
0: a little bit on angels dating life because it does play a pretty big role in this case. And I do also want to preface, I'm going to try to keep this as like timeline cohesive as possible. There will be a little bit of jumping around. So questions might come up, um, while you're listening, but Hopefully, I'm going to circle back and answer any of those that you might have, and we'll dive into some other stuff a little bit.
1: And that's what I'm here for, because I'm listening to the first time as you are.
0: So as far as Angel's dating life goes, she met most of the men that she dated online. You know, she was a very busy girl, taking care of her mom, also working a part-time job. And so online dating seemed to be the most convenient for her.
1: 2007. So that's like plenty of fish time. Oh, yeah. I mean, even... like Christian Mingle. mm -hmm. Like online, online. For
0: sure. Okay. Yeah. Or even, uh, especially chat rooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just stuff like that. Not
1: apps. Like not Tinder. Yeah, probably
0: not. Yeah. Yeah. But at this time, you know, she was in her 30s. She really wanted to get married and have a family. She's nearing 35 years old. She's Mm -hmm. starting to feel this pressure that, like, maybe it's not going to happen for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That pressure is real. (laughs) I think
0: that rings true for so many people nowadays. But it's never too late. So just just keep pushing forward. And in 2000, so this is actually in 2006. She does sign up for a dating app so there was some form of an app around at this time and just a couple days later she meets a man by the name of David Hoshaw and David is a father of two a scout leader he's an electrical designer like he's really like you know checking off all of these boxes of qualities and she fell for him very quickly and it seemed those feelings were obviously reciprocated. And she was more than ready for this knight in shining armor to come into her life. Uh, She loved his relationship with his two boys. And their relationship progressed very, very quickly. So in December-ish of 2006, they're already engaged and He Moves In with Angel and her mom. So they were... Damn. I think they were talking for maybe like, at maximum six months before they get engaged and they were all set and ready to get married in September of 2007. They had a date set and Angel is just like over the moon, you know, like everything she's wanted is starting to fall into place. You know, she's planning her wedding. She's having this like custom Renaissance style dress made for her wedding gown. And You know, I talked earlier about her liking to journal and she's journaling about their future together and starting a family and all of this stuff. So unfortunately, tragedy does fall on Angel and Vonda. Friday of 4th of July weekend in 2007, a 911 call comes in around 1.30 in the morning. And it's a woman on the phone telling the 911 operator, I'm dying Please help me. And then the caller keeps hanging up, and the nine one one operator has to like call the number back and try to reconnect like multiple times. There, she answers, makes these claims, hangs up, has to call her back. She answers again, etc., etc. Wow. So a rookie officer, John Schraft, responds to the nine one one call. He gets dispatched out to Freiden Street. And when Officer Shraft arrives, he walks up to the house. And so they've got a front door and then like the screen door, you know, Mm -hmm. the interior door is wide open. The screen door is shut and he can see that there are lights on inside the residence. So he approaches the house and he glances in through the screen door and he can just see blood. Oh no. Everywhere inside of the house. And he discovers an older woman laying on the floor next to the house phone. And this is 74 year old Vonda. Wow. He enters the house. I mean, the rug that she's laying on is covered in blood. The house phone is covered in blood, in blood. but at this point, Vonda is still alive. Oh wow. Okay. And You know, he asks, is there anyone else in the house? And, you know, he's referring to obviously any other victims or the person that has committed this this crime. And she tells him that her daughter is in the bedroom. So he draws his weapon. He's going through the house just in case the intruder is still in there. And when he enters the bedroom, he finds 35-year-old Angel naked, lying face down on the bedroom floor, covered and blood. Oh wow! And Angel is dead on arrival. Her bed is soaked in blood. Both women had been stabbed multiple times, and one of them, I believe, had had their throat slit. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that that was a detail that was in that was included. But Angel herself had been stabbed about thirty-seven times.
1: Holy moly, that's a lot.
0: Just overkill. Oh, for sure. You know. And a little while later, De- Detective Walter Whiteside arrives on, on scene, which I kind of laughed when I, his name came Walter up. White. Yeah, because I thought of Walter White. <laughs> yeah. Breaking bad. Love it. Um, and Vonda is still crying out for Angel and asking the detective if asking Detective Whiteside if she's okay. So Detective Whiteside is looking at Vonda, and based on her injuries, he knows it's only a matter of time before she succumbs sure. to these stab wounds. He contacts a homicide detective who instructs him that he basically needs to get a dying declaration from Vonda, which I didn't know the details of this, but for anyone who might not know what a dying declaration is, it's pretty much you have a victim who you know for sure is going to die. They Mm -hmm. are not going to make it out of the situation alive. And so you need to get a statement from them about what happened to be able to look for somebody and then furthermore from that, the person actually has to die.
1: There's one witness who hears this, and they can now act as, the, as them, as their advocate on the stand, sure. saying this is what Vonda said. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So Detective Whiteside gets this dying declaration from Vonda, who did this, and she says the name of a man, Walter Lucas. Now this is Angel's... Ex-brother-in-law, Angel's sister's ex-husband. Wow. Yeah. That got messy real quick. Yeah. So somebody close to the family that has been allegedly separated. So they've got this name. Vonda's taken to the hospital, and she does pass away shortly after. So the investigation starts and the first question that they're looking at is who would want to kill these two innocent women? Mm -hmm. You know, they have the name of Walter Lucas and he wasn't too hard to track down because he was the ex-husband of her sister. He was still, even though he was separated, he was still very much involved in the family. And even, even so much that he still visited them. Like the family still really loved him, even though he was separated from their sister, daughter, whatever. So for this reason, he seems very unlikely to be the person that committed this crime, even though Vonda points the finger at him. And he has an alibi. He's 200 miles away. Oh, shit. And they can confirm this, and his alibi checks out. So they're like... That's weird. Probably no way that he could have been the person to do this. And you know, they do bring up to him that his DNA was found at the scene. And he's able to explain that away because he was at the house visiting the week before. Like I said, sure. he's still very much involved in the family. He's like, but well, I'm, I'm around all the time. So right. I'm not surprised that you found that. And so why is Vonda naming him? Well, Walter wasn't really too surprised that maybe his name came up because Vonda does have dementia Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. And names and faces. Sure. You know, whoever in that moment may have been in the forefront of her mind or maybe who this person reminded her of. Right. Was Walter. Okay. So they're pretty much able to eliminate him as a suspect. And after this, the officers really don't have any leads. So there wasn't any signs of forced entry into the house. Okay. Who could have gotten into the house? Well, anyone that would have had a key potentially. So anyone who lived there, that would have been Vonda and Angel, which we know they didn't off themselves. David, the fiance who lives there. Okay, that's right. Plus pretty much all immediate family has access to the house. So detectives are looking at somebody close to the family. Now they turn to look at David, Angel's fiance, and... And the rest of the family. And in addition to that, they all have alibis that check out. David specifically, he's about two hours away that weekend because he's at a Boy Scout camp with his oldest son on a week-long trip. And they're like up off this peninsula in Virginia. Other parents do confirm seeing him there. And in regards to that specific night, they confirm that they saw David at the campsite, or the campsite, <laughs> the campsite around eleven p.m. Friday night, and then he's also at breakfast at six thirty a.m. the next morning. Okay. David, when he returns home from this trip to Norfolk Saturday afternoon, he drops him off with his son's mom at his house, at her house, and you know you always look at the lover, right? Sure. The husband, the boyfriend, the
1: person that's going to be there. It seems,
0: you know, even if they do have an alibi, it's someone who you want to dig into a little bit further. So police do bring him in and they talk to him and they bring him in for an interview, but they ultimately let him go because he's like, I was was gone over the weekend. I was with my son. Here are the people that can confirm that I was there. And so he leaves this interview and meets up with his ex-wife, his son's mom. And she's like, you know what happened? What was all of that about? And he's like, well, you probably heard about Angel and Vonda over the weekend. I wish I would have been there. If I had been there, I could have saved them. And she's like, well, if you would have been there, you probably would have died too. You know, like this was super intense and super gruesome. And it kind of just gets left at that. And Days and weeks pass with no further evidence and no clues. One of the biggest pieces of evidence that comes in, and this is very zodiac, is a month after the murders, a letter arrives at the Norfolk police station and it contains a full confession oh, of shit. these murders. The letter is also postmarked being sent from a post office in Chicago. And this will be important later. We'll come back to this part. Okay. So within the letter, it references having met Angel and her mom a few days before the murder at the beach, and that Angel wanted to have one last fling before she got <sighs> married. They cross-check this information in Angel's journals, where she does write oh. about being at the beach Okay. in those days prior, and that she's with her mom. In this letter, it Additionally, confesses to being at the house that night and stabbing Angel and her mom around 1230 in the morning. Okay. And so it pinpoints a timeline. They use words like biatch and mother with an A and kind of writing like with a lot of like misspelled words and like in a slang style. A little while later, they receive a second letter. This one is postmarked from Gaylord, Michigan, and this letter claims that the killer has struck again in some fashion, and again, it's written in this really, like, poor grammar, slang style, and they now start looking for any unsolved murders in the Midwest area that could
1: Mm -hmm.
0: make any sense or any connection to what happened in Virginia, and the letter is also written in a very taunting fashion to the police, saying things like, The police up here are a lot smarter than you. So like, Neener, Neener, come and get me. Yeah. You guys obviously aren't very smart if you haven't figured out who I am yet. And this just lights a fire for sure. the investigators. They're like, um, we're very smart. Right. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> we will find we you. We have resources. We we have our resources. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Liam Nielsen. We will find you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so, however, the police don't find any DNA on these letters and they're determined to track down the, sen- the sender. And as far as the house goes, also, there's no forensic evidence, so they don't really have any DNA to like really pull from the house to even try to compare to these letters or vice versa. There's no fingerprints or anything like that. But this at least pushes them in the direction that this is something that was probably planned okay, by someone. And again, done by someone they know. And at this point, they're like, We need to fully retract and backtrack and start from ground zero to see where we can make these dots connect. So sorry, like I said, there is going to be a little bit of jumping around and some oddities to this case, but I will tie it all together so that it all (laughs) makes sense. So we're going to fast forward to 2008. The murder happened in 2007, and still at this point, there's not a whole lot of suspects or leads in the case, and the investigators kind of have to start looking at the victims and looking into their interests, their past, their acquaintances, and all of that. Just start peeling back that onion. Exactly. And so one of their areas of focus is the two women's interests in Wicca. Okay. Okay. Angel had become lightly involved with a group that was in connection with a Wiccan bookstore in Norfolk called the Mystic Moon. So some of the Wiccan practices and rituals do involve tools and items like wands, pentacles, a chalice, and a specific large knife called an an athemy. Okay. And this is allegedly only used for symbolic purposes, this knife. It's not really viewed as a weapon it's just this item that's brought to these practices that they partake in and so police want to know who angel has met through this group and at this bookstore and while they're looking into all of this a a call ends up coming into the police station on january 2nd 2008 and it's a man that wants to talk to them about the murders so this man shows up and he identifies as a vampire OK,
1: so they had a meeting with a vampire,
0: <laughs> had an interview with a vampire. interview with
1: the vampire. He OK, claimed, he claimed to be a part of the group from the Mystic
0: Moon and there were others who considered themselves to be vampires. OK, so not a whole lot of relevance or importance to this, but worth noting. Absolutely. It's it's a quirky fact in the case. Um, he implies that he may know something about Angel's murder, and he shows them one of these knives that they use in Wiccan practice. And he claims that this is the knife that was used by someone else to commit the murders. He How is basically he know? presenting. Okay. I, yeah, I don't know, but he is basically presenting the murder weapon to the police. And so the detectives take this knife knife to the lab and they have it tested. It doesn't show up with any DNA or blood
1: on it. Oh, oh, oh. So he brings what he thinks is the actual murder weapon. That was my impression. Not like, oh, look at like this type of knife.
0: Like, right. Okay. Yeah. The way I understood it is that he presented them with the murder weapon. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But it doesn't contain contain any dna or blood which you could explain away with somebody cleaning it you know sure. so whatever they've had it
1: for almost a year now right
0: but the knife was also not the right size to have caused the stab wounds and so they're like this is obviously not the weapon that was used whether it was this one or one like it it's not the right one it, it's not the right sure. one So this part is a little bit confusing to me, but this is the last that we would ever hear of this man. Police eliminate him as a suspect because he wasn't, as they quote, wasn't close to the family, which I guess you could argue one way or another because he obviously knew Angel. They were involved in this group at the Mystic Moon bookstore whatever. But I think. I don't know why they didn't question him further. I mean, this is a question that right. I still have out there that I don't have answers for you guys about. I'm kind of chalking it up to maybe they just thought that he was kind of a joke. Right. Um, a little bit of theatrics. Wanted to help, but didn't know how. Yeah. It, okay. It's just It's just kind of weird. But at the very least... Wouldn't this guy, I, I don't know, I guess this is a question that I kind of have for you or maybe some thoughts on this. Like, okay, this guy comes to the police station. He claims to know something. He brings in this weapon that he is either presenting as the murder weapon or what the, the weapon would have been. Mm-hmm. Doesn't one maybe get in trouble for filing a false police report?
1: Well, he wouldn't be filing a police report. He's That's trying true. to help. But if, if nothing else, I'd ask, how do you know? Who told you? How'd you find out? Or did this did this just wind up at the doorstep of the bookstore? Or, you know, did it get mail? Did you find it? Right. Where were you that night? Sure. <laughs> Who were your Lots sources? Of yeah. You know. So can you look in this mirror? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had garlic bread for lunch, <laughs> and, and you're still in that? the room. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So you know, again, I I have questions about this, but. They don't end up being relevant. Spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) More or less, this man's claims was a big waste of time for the police. Sure. So, despite the alibi, the police, again at this point, restarting their investigation, turned their attention more towards David. Sure. And... I'm going to talk a little bit about David's background. So before his relationship with Angel, David had had six prior relationships. Three of these were marriages prior to his engagement with Angel. The police end up getting the, um, you know, the names of all six of these women, and they investigate all of them to try to dig it, to dig up anything that they can about David's past. And they end up uncovering, that in two of his past relationships, there was quite a bit of abuse oh. that took place. And this would have been two, two of his former wives. So his first wife, Naomi Hoshaw, which is the mother of his two kids, they met when they were very young. They met when they were 16. They okay. both worked together at Bush Gardens. Um, David was super lovey-dovey when he wanted to be, but he also kind of had this like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde aspect to his personality he did not like to be questioned whatsoever so things progress they end up getting older they get married what have you and when naomi is pregnant with their second son she claims that there was an incident in their home and david actually ended up strangling her oh that got serious super serious and again super i mean you're strangling a pregnant woman like what the fuck is the matter with you and so this abuse kind of starts to take place. And then one day, Naomi is fiddling around their house and she ends up stumbling upon these letters that are written from David to a 12 year old <gasps> friend of the family. No. At this time, they were living up in Spokane, Washington, and David was in the Air Force. And Naomi is like, hell no. Good for immediately her. takes this information to oh, his superiors. Good. And the letters contain things like I think there was something said about Oof. like, "Oh, I wanted to talk to you, but like your mom was around" or just really just really inappropriate, super creepy things. So, Naomi goes to his superiors and not only does she bring these letters to their attention, but also the allegations of domestic abuse. And she gets the girl's parents involved and the parents follow her to, to the superior, to the superiors also about his inappropriate relationship. So David ends up pleading guilty to all of these claims. Wow. I don't know to what extent his relationship progressed sexually if it did with this 12 year old girl but nonetheless he was trying to make really inappropriate contact with her and the letters were obviously evidence he was being predatory yes and grooming and and what have you so he does end up pleading guilty but the air force decided not to criminally prosecute him Yes, yeah, so your eye roll eye is <laughs> cannot roll back further in your head. I know. I, I had the exact same reaction to it. And so they don't criminally prosecute him with a court martial, which would have sent him to prison, right? obviously. But instead, they administratively discharge him from the <sighs> Air Force, which I'm like, boo, boo on you yeah, to try to just like
1: sweep something like that under the rug. Don't even get me started on misconduct in the military. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like sexual misconduct in the military.
0: Mm-hmm. I know we were just talking about SVU earlier. And yeah. there's, I think at least, I know there's at least one episode that focuses mm-hmm. around that. So I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about that. Sorry, sorry, this is a slight tangent. But so the military basically does have its own court system. Right. And this is to mainstream charges and convictions and what have you. And a fun fact, which I didn't know, is that within these courts, there are no mistrials Nope. in military court. And that is because they can't have any split verdicts to declare a mistrial. So this means that three-fourths of the jury can believe that someone is guilty or innocent and that ends up being...
1: It's majority. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Which is totally understandable because when you're talking about our military, you want someone that's guilty, removed, and potentially someone that's innocent to remain, you know, depending on how things play out. So I found that to be kind of interesting. Super interesting. Just a fun fact to throw out there for people that didn't know.
1: It's a very interesting, like, subsection of our government system. For sure. Like, the jury is made up of their peers Within right. the military. So right. it's not civilians. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's it's a very interesting system. Absolutely. And they can be tried civilly as well as by the military. Oh and okay. vice versa. Right, right. So there is no double jeopardy when it comes mm. to military and civilian matters. That's yeah. interesting. so okay. that's what happened in I forget the name of the case, but um oh. He was um, he was uh, found not guilty in a civilian case, but years later they found information that found him guilty, and so they retried him in the military with the court martial. Mm-hmm. Man, I have to think of the name of the case, but um, shoot, it had a big twist in it. I remember. Yeah, I'm just really bad at names. No, but... that's okay. That's
0: really good to know, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, so double that... jeopardy doesn't count, right? Interesting. That's crazy. Yep. So after all of this plays out, Naomi immediately files for divorce, obviously good for
1: her. Yeah. She's like good for her.
0: <laughs> she's like, um, you're not going to strangle me when I'm pregnant and you're not going to be trying to groom a 12 year old. Right. I'm out. So she does move back to Virginia and he follows her there so that he can still be with his sons. David gets online and he starts online dating where he meets his second and his third wives. And we're going to talk about his third wife. Her name is Alison Ashcroft and they met dating online in 2001 and David totally swooned her. Allison at this time, she was very overweight. She did not have a lot of self esteem. She did not have a lot of confidence. And she was just like totally smitten with all of this attention that David sure. was showering her with and giving her. So they would eventually marry and one day, Allison was having migraines, and David offered to help massage her neck with like one of those massage rollers. Mm-hmm. And so he's helping her out with this, and all of a sudden, Allison feels that she's being smacked across the back of the head, what? and she blacks out. What? When she comes to, she's basically on the floor, and David's standing over her and kind of says in this, like, I don't know if you would want to con- call it condescending, but it's like, oh, I think we need to go to the hospital.
1: This motherfucker.
0: Yeah. What? He's quite a monster. And to naive Allison, David never took any responsibility for having done this and basically said that this massage roller like slipped out of his hands. Obviously, that's not what happened, my dude. Okay. No. No. And in 2005... So this is four years after they get married. David abruptly ends their marriage and is just like, this isn't working out. I'm going to pack up all my stuff. We're going to get a divorce. I
1: mean, good riddance, Uh, but yeah. For sure. Yeah.
0: And, you know, Allison is kind of taken aback by this,
1: but... Of course. But girl, he beat you with... No. Exactly. Put you in the hospital. And within
0: this year... His relationship begins with Angel in January of 2006. So he walks away from his marriage in 2005 with Allison.
1: Oh, his third marriage. Mm -hmm, His third marriage.
0: So something that I want to dive into a little bit is unpacking Angel's journals because they do play a really big part in this story. So in the weeks before Angel's death, she journals about David's distant behavior. So at this point, they're engaged. They're planning a wedding. And there are these journal entries of David not being the lovey-dovey, attention-giving, doting fiancé that he had kind of been. So David starts going on work trips states away and has very little communication with Angel. And she journals about getting phone calls very few and far between from him and them only really lasting the span of like five minutes. They're just super, super short, just basically Here. him... How you doing? Doing a courtesy call, yeah. <laughs> more or less. A
1: wellness check.
0: Yeah, exactly. And she also notes that he is starting to be like really secretive about his money and his finances, that his mood started to change. He was really grumpy and moody that he would be arguing with her mom, Vonda. And this put her in like a really awkward position, her mom and the love of her life arguing, you know, she's being torn between these two and her family within this is also starting to grow really suspicious about these work trips. So remember, David is an electrical engineer and is supposedly up in the Midwest. This is like Wisconsin, Michigan area working on Navy ships. Now, the family found this to be odd because of geography sure. and bodies of water. Like, and I don't know too much about this, but the th- these suspicions make sense to me, like Why would you be working on ships up in the Great Lakes when that's quite a commute to get in that way from the
1: Atlantic? That is quite a ways. Ocean?
0: Like, why wouldn't these ships just be in some port off of a massive body of water? And again, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some... um,
1: Boat repair. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, a boat
0: mechanic shop like within the Great Lakes, and that's why these ships would have been there. But it just kind of seems odd to some members of the family. Like, why are these ships commuting all the way in here, and that's where you have to go work? Whatever. So, furthermore, this kind of raises the red flag of, okay, well, is he hiding something? Is he... Cheating, you know what's going on with these absences. And Angel has even confided into her aunt that she had a dream about him kissing someone else one night. So just kind of a
1: listen. You gotta an listen odd to your dreams. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean,
1: if she's if she's you know practicing Wicca, then she's probably listening to her dreams more than most, or looking into her tarot card readings uh-huh. or anything yeah. like
0: that. Absolutely. So we're going to jump back to the investigation really quickly. And one piece of evidence that ends up being useful to this investigation is the family's computer and Angel's suspicions of David cheating were not far off. So they seized this computer and they found that the password had been changed on June 24th, 2007. This would have been only a couple Mm, weeks before the murders, which happened on 4th of July weekend. David was the administrator on the computer and changed the password to number four, Amanda.
1: Who's Amanda?
0: Exactly. (laughs) That's what I have in bold in my notes. Who the hell? Who's Amanda? Is Amanda. So in early 2007, David actually goes back onto these dating websites and he meets a woman, Amanda, who he begins to have an affair with. And this is actually where David was spending his time, wouldn't you know it? Of course when it he was. he was up in the Midwest, quote unquote, working. <laughs> he was working something. He was working something. And so the investigators, you know, like us are like, Okay, who the hell is Amanda? So they start digging deep. And they realize that David's timeline and his alibi of where he was the evening of the murders Mm
1: -hmm. left him
0: plenty of time to have made the trip from where he was on the peninsula that weekend. So he was seen at the camp at 11.30 p.m. by other parents. Okay. This peninsula where he's at is only about an 80-mile or a two-hour drive from Norfolk. So sure. 1130 at night, he was last seen. And then he's seen again back at camp at 630 in the morning. Right. That is almost a seven hour gap. Right. Plenty of time. Two hours there, two hours back. You've got roughly three hours to play yeah.
1: with. And two hours if you're going like the spe- whatever speed limit, like maybe 60. But if you're, I mean, if you're going a little bit faster, you can make it there faster. Exactly. Yeah. And the
0: family even more so starts to notice some really bizarre behavior from David in the days after the murders happen. Um, He doesn't seem to be grieving. He's just kind of going about his days like anybody would. Even to the extent that David has the audacity to not even attend the funeral. (gasps) No. What
1: a... Son of a bitch. He does not even attend the funeral. That was your fiance. Exactly.
0: And if anyone, sorry, spoiler alert, if anyone's going to try to make themselves look innocent, you should at least attend the fucking funeral. Right. And pretend that you're grieving.
1: Jeez.
0: Instead, he packs up and he moves to to Michigan Michigan to to go go be with Amanda. Amanda. Wow. The weekend of the murders.
1: and The weekend of? Oh, sorry, not the weekend. Oh.
0: The weekend of the funeral. So around oh the time gosh. of the funeral, he packs up his shit, and he moves to go be with his girlfriend. So within a couple
1: of weeks at most. At
0: most. And so this family member that Angel had confided into about having this dream of him kissing another woman, she's like, oh my God. It was true. She was 100% correct. So David moves to Michigan to be be with Amanda. And And although although things look look very odd and suspicious, the investigators investigators don't don't really have anything anything on David to tie him to to the murders. Everything everything is circumstantial. circumstantial. Yes, he's a cheater, but they don't don't have anything concrete on him yet. Their Their best lead lead right right now is is those two two letters that got mailed into the police station. That's right. So if they were going to get David, they needed to prove that he was the only possible person that could have sent those letters to them. So you have the first letter that's from Chicago, which they were actually able to narrow down being sent from only one distribution center. So one po- there's only one post office it could have okay. been sent from. They dive into David's cell phone and credit card records, and they end up locating a cell phone tower ping that puts David. I think it was within a range of about 12 miles of this post office. Oh, well,
1: that's close enough. The day
0: that the letter was mailed. Wow. Okay. And then you have the second letter that's sent from Gaylord, Michigan. This is like a small community in the middle of nowhere of Michigan. And when they look into his credit card receipts, they're able to follow this trail of him making purchases that line up exactly with him passing through this part of town. And this was over a, I think, a weekend trip that him and Amanda were on this little like romantic rendezvous Get away, and his credit card receipts just put them right down this trail that would have pinpointed him being in Gaylord on August 15th, which is the day that that letter was mailed. So the police finally have enough for an arrest warrant. And by this point, Amanda and him already have one kid together. Wow. And they have another on the way. No. So she is invested <laughs> into this relationship. David's arrest takes place in 2009, and they, the police, bust into their house at 4 a.m. to arrest David Hoshaw.
1: Damn!
0: And when Amanda asks, "What the hell is going on?" she learns that he's being arrested for the murders of Angel and Vonda, and they refer to Angel as his fiance. And Amanda's like, "What? The who? Angel, his fiance? You mean Angel, his ex-girlfriend?" And they're like, "No, no, no. Angel, his fiance." At the the time time when she was was murdered. And Amanda's like, what what the? He told me that was his ex. ex. That's why you Google people. Exactly. Exactly. So David is taken into the state police and he's interviewed. The room that he's in is being recorded. Um, I I don't don't think think that that they exclusively tell him this this at the time, but they do say that there are are no secrets secrets in this room that they're in. in.
1: Oh, you, I mean, if you're going (laughs) into any police station, guys, you're being recorded. Yeah. Yeah. I've said it before and I'll say it again. There is no privacy there. Nope. Nope. You're always going to be recorded, whether it's audio and visual or both. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So he just, he, okay.
0: (laughs) So they bring up the letters, the two letters that they received, right. he, he denies sending them. them. They also tell him that they know of his locations at the time that the letters were being mailed yeah. and he just totally plays dumb to it. And then they're like, okay, well, let me just tell you about your little trip that you took and why we can pinpoint you to these specific locations. And they're totally playing this whole psychological game with him. And then he pretty immediately asked for a lawyer and And they're they're like shit "Shit, okay Okay. but they they have a little little glimmer of hope because amanda wants to talk to him and he wants to talk to amanda and And she you know allegedly has no idea that there there is is a camera camera recording in this room room. but But she's she's told told that they they would be able to have a private conversation (laughs) okay
1: (laughs) private bunny ears (laughs) please go in there and make them talk exactly (laughs) So, so to, to touch, touch
0: on, on the recording, recording a little bit in July of 2020, 2020 Virginia made it a requirement that police record, record all interrogation sure. videos and, and this, helps this helps just completely eliminate the he said, said she yeah. said that could happen in an interrogation yeah. to, maintain to maintain the trust of the public in the mm-hmm. way that that police conducted themselves with
1: you know yeah. people yeah. that
0: they're interviewing so, so that's, that's kind of where that comes from. from so I, I don't think that they, they at all I have to disclose, disclose that this this interrogation, interrogation you know. is being recorded. At, at the very least, you know that you're behind a mirror and people are watching you right. on the other side, right? So,
1: so Or sometimes there's just a camera in the corner, and if you don't notice it, that's that's your fault. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly.
0: And you, you know, know, even within, within that, you know, David, David has obviously been advised of his, his rights, rights, which include, include the right to list. remain silent. So Amanda has no idea that she's about to crack this case wide open Damn. for these investigators, so she goes in. She asks him, "What the hell's going on? You need to be honest with me. We have kids together. I love you." She's obviously upset and totally blindsided. At the very least, she's hurt to find out that a man or that angel was still his fiance at the time and not his ex girlfriend. Right, and so. He tells her that he's being arrested for those murders, and she asks him if he did it. At this point, a detective is still sitting in the room, and David says, I'm not going to say any anything more in front of police officers. So this detective exits the room, and David completely spills the beans. Wow. He says, I got stupid. I got crazy. I'm sorry. And Amanda just... I mean, she, she just loses it. She just falls like apart. Like, her physical reaction, reaction in this video, like, looks like she just got punched in the, the stomach. stomach. Ugh, she is having she's such a strong, like, convulsing, convulsing. Yeah. <laughs> physical reaction yeah. to him confessing this to her. I mean, and she's, she's like, I don't know how I could ever forgive you. I, I don't, don't know, know how I, I could ever trust you again, obviously. So she's like... You, you need to tell me your side of the story. Like, what happened? And he claims that he, claims that he didn't mean to do it, do it that evening. evening. Okay. okay. Um, um, so that, that it, was it wasn't was his intention when, when he went to the house, house that night. He, he said, said that he, he went, went there, there to break, break up with her. With Which What a
1: weird time to go you were at a boy scout camp
0: exactly and amanda doesn't even believe this she's like you went there at 1 a.m to break up with her you couldn't have done this in the daytime you couldn't have done this this the next
1: day you couldn't have done this
0: the next day after you got
1: home you couldn't have
0: conveniently done this the day before you left on this week-long boy scout camp so that you didn't have to look at her face for a week i mean that's when i would have done it but, but that's, that's his claim is that he went there that, went there that
1: night. Ugh, what a crock shit. To break up with her. her. And, and this, this also raises, raises the question
0: in my head
1: why was, was Angel
0: found naked on her floor,
1: on her floor oh, when the investigator showed up that night? I forgot about that.
0: Obviously, obviously some sort of, some I mean, my assumption is, is obviously some, some sort of sexual encounter
1: happened, happened
0: between, between the two of you. you. So was exactly that a. Well, well, let's, let's go, go one last, last round. Sure. Since we're, we're breaking, breaking up, up, who knows? Sweden, we never really we end up finding out why Angel was found in those conditions. And, and then I Amanda asks him about the letter, and he confesses to writing them to, to get, get the police, police off of his back. His back. And, and aside, aside from this, this confession, confession, the letters were in. Sorry. Aside from this confession, the letters were ultimately the nail in his coffin, as far as evidence goes. The fact that they were able to tie him to these locations on those specific dates were huge right. for in- and they're the investigators. Random locations, so it's exactly.
1: Like they're in his neighborhood. He had to go out of his way mm-hmm. gotcha. yeah. to be there. He's
0: immediately arrested. I mean, I mean, he's already been arrested, but he's obviously charged, taken in, yeah. in charge for this, for these two murders. And he's indicted on two counts of first degree murder. And while he waits for his trial to start, the prosecution is like busy scrambling and trying to string together all of this circumstantial evidence that they have. And, you know, they're not really in the most ideal position to be in. as As the the prosecution prosecution having just a lot of circumstantial evidence. evidence. I mean, they they do have the letters and the locations, but again, no DNA, no no forensics, forensics,
1: nothing nothing like that. that. They don't have like the knife in his
0: hand moment. Exactly. And, and, you know, juries do like to have a lot more proof Mm -hmm. than that. And in the meantime, the defense is busy trying to get evidence thrown out, like Angel's journals, the interrogation video, those two things mainly. But this doesn't work, and the judge allows all of it to be um, admitted. The, the trial, trial was set to go for a month, and, and this is because the prosecution, prosecution subpoenaed about 140 witnesses. Whoa. So they basically went all throughout Michigan, throughout Michigan and a few other places, places and, they and they pulled anyone and everyone that could tie David to being in these areas sure. at the time when these um, oh, letters were mailed.
1: Like a gas atten- attendant. Exactly. Or... Someone okay. who worked at the IHOP, um, gotcha. the front desk the
0: person at the hotel where oh, they would have yeah, stayed, yeah. you know, anybody in like that. And furthermore, the prosecution also brings in a mannequin that they have the intention of showing to the jury. And they had a medical examiner pretty much go through and put like sewing needles in where every stab wound would have been on Angel's body. And it is... Overkill to so say the sure, least, like, like we talked about, she had been, been stabbed 30 plus, plus times. All, all of those stabs, stabs or not all of them, but a lot of them hitting like the upper left side of her body, like in the, the chest, chest and the neck, neck area, even, even a few to like the face and the head. And the head. Damn. So, so really, really, really super gruesome. gruesome. At this point, the family has waited three years for this to all come to a head. And death penalty is 100% on the table for David going into this trial. And then comes some news that shocks everybody. On October 5th, 2010, David pleads guilty to the two counts of first-degree murder, and there is no trial.
1: I mean, that saves the trial
0: from going to
1: trial. Yeah. Yeah. It saves the family of
0: all of this. He ultimately receives two life sentences for the murders and for his guilty plea, um, the death sentence is taken off the table. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. They eliminate that possibility. Now, one of the investigators goes to Amanda and tells her that David has confessed and has Mm -hmm. pled guilty and that there's not going to be a trial. And she is fucking pissed. She's like, no, he deserves to sit up there and to have all of his dirty laundry aired out and for a jury to hear everything that he did, you know, this, that and the other. I understand where she's coming from, but from the family's standpoint, like, let's just wash our hands of this. And he pled guilty. We have an admission. He's going to jail on two life sentences. I don't, I don't think that, that one, one would really need any more than that, that. But, but amanda within, within this is so hurt that she was mm-hmm. so, deceived so deceived and so probably a little bit for her satisfaction. um satisfaction but she wanted him to sit up there and to be embarrassed and to be made an
1: example of to an extent little did you know amanda that podcasts would one day exist yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what the fuck we're doing exactly, exactly. fuck him exactly i hope you're okay exactly okay Hope you and your kiddos are okay. <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> to, to, to 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 be sitting, sitting there knowing, knowing that you're going to be the mom, mom of, I'm sure her kids, kids are wonderful and, and I'm not saying anything bad about that. Bad about that about but that. now, you know, you've got this monster. You have to explain who their dad is. Exactly. exactly. So, so the family, family never exactly, exactly finds out why David, why David did this. I mean, he has expo- sure. his explanation and whatnot, but he does end up giving a journalist an exclusive phone interview while he's in oh. prison. Okay. And, and he, he still claims that he simply went, simply went there, there to break up with Angel bullshit. that night. We Yes, yes we, we all know that as a big, fat, stinky pile of bullshit. Yeah, and to tell, to tell her that there was someone else in her life. And, and then, then he, claims, he that claims that the hurt that he caused, caused her turned into, turned into anger, which meant that he needed to defend himself. And, and once he, he got, got his weapon of choice and, and was defending himself, he, he just, just simply couldn't stop. And that Vonda fell victim to this whole situation because, situation because she tried it. to intervene. I know. I, I mean, do, literally, dude, you can say whatever you want. Right. It's fine. Um, um, we we all, all know that that's not how things played out. out. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah, yeah maybe, maybe she was hurt and maybe she, she did go, go after him a little bit. But you stabbed her alone over 30, over 30 times and, and then you took down her 74 year old mother
1: yeah you big as man. collateral damage asshole.
0: i know and you, and, you know, know at, the end, at, at the end at the end, end of the, the day, day and I with all this, this like david is just such, such a sneaky monster, monster. His, his whole, whole life, life with all life of these women jumping, jumping from, from one, one to the next, next he You know, at first presents himself as being this sweet, loving family man. Some people even described him as being being of this cuddly, you know, soft nature. But needless to say, he was not Angel's knight in shining armor that she had been waiting for. He is a monster, and so that is the case of David Hoshaw and Angel and Vonda Goina. Wow,
1: and see after his first wives, and subsequent girlfriends, and like his last girlfriend, they probably never even knew about the accusations that were brought upon him during the military years. Sure. sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean you know? that. Yeah. I mean I that happened,
0: happened with with his, his first, first wife. wife. Obviously, Obviously, his, his third, third wife and didn't know anything about that. that. I right. couldn't right. find any, you yeah. know, um, statements from. from his His second wife, but his his third wife, Allison, in an interview is like, I was so naive naive at the time. time. Yeah. And you know, know, like we we had kind of touched on, on, thank God he walked walked away from from me because I could have easily been angel. And you kind of, it's sad because you kind of see this like guilt in her eyes. And I think a lot of, um, You could chalk chalk it up to like survivor's guilt, you know, like why her, why wasn't it me? Why, you know, how did, how did those timelines pan out and line up and all of that stuff? And I mean, she's just totally like at a loss of words and obviously so sad for Vonda and Angel and also their family that had to. I
1: can't believe he snuck. I mean, he almost got away with it. He all, I mean, had it
0: not had he not sent those letters, had he not, not sent those letters, letters, and had he not, not been, been such, a such a dumbass to change the password on the computer, computer to your <laughs> new girlfriend's <laughs> name, like they they, they probably
1: maybe they would have, have never
0: caught he him. He probably would
1: have gotten away with it. Yeah. yeah, because no one even he there, there was no, no weapon first that time was around, found. Yeah, first time around, he had a, a, what seemed like a solid alibi.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm a, I'm two hours away at a Boy Scout camp. Yeah. And he had people backing him up on that.
0: Exactly. Uh-huh. Unknowingly. You yeah, know. and there's
1: no weapon. So that weird vampire knife story, it's still kind of weird. But, I know. Um, that, 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 that whole, whole little bit is just yeah. like the big question Maybe, mark. I, I don't know. Maybe vampire dude had a... Had a a dream of something, maybe of her coming to his dream, but yeah, that's um that's wild. He almost got away with it. Yeah,
0: he really, Thank really, goodness really for did. stupidity
1: because seriously, I he not sent those stupid letters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a dumbass. I know. Poor Angel, I thirty-seven know. times, thirty-seven, and Vonda times. too. Mm-hmm. And. You know, what's uh, what's even crazier is that, yeah, he almost would have gone away with it because she didn't even point the finger at him. Exactly. And, and I mean, really. She said it was she, Walter. Exactly.
0: exactly. I mean, she, she really, was, you know, even despite, despite the fact that she had dementia, dementia she still, she, still knew she knew who David, David was. Right. And, and it was by a stroke of almost luck, almost luck that she, she named somebody else. else. Right. So... Yeah, yeah, I know. Kind, kind of a wild, wild case. So I'm sorry, sorry if any of it was kind of hard to keep track of. Was there was good. just a lot of a lot of different angles coming, angles. Right. all meeting to, to this, this one center, center point, point, point finally yeah. in this case. What a
1: piece of trash, though. I know. What a terrible piece of person. For sure. Yeah. Well, that's a great case. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Do I sound weird? Uh-uh. Okay. No. All right. <laughs> no, you sound great.
0: Um, so, so yeah, yeah, I guess I just want to say um, a big, big thank, thank you to everyone that has reached out with congratulations, congratulations of our news about our, our son this last week. Yeah, I was, was really, really so excited so to post that picture, picture of <laughs> his cute old yeah. jean jacket um, with his little patch that was on it. a great picture. Oh, I was, like, so <laughs> giddy about it. It's, it's so cute. He's almost big enough to fit into it. It's like a three-month-old jacket and i'm like oh my gosh come on just keep getting fatter <laughs> so cute but yeah so that's really all i have oh i did have a question for you for me yes sure how was the um, pineapple in the the, the the potato what the not potato soufflé <laughs> no, the scalloped scallop. potatoes
1: scallop. oh god, oh, god. It was awful.
0: Oh, no. no. I was really holding out hope that you were going to say that it was amazing. It was, it was not good. Oh, it was no. Not good. Okay. But at
1: least we all decided it was not good together. So it wasn't like one person liked it and we were like, you know. Sure. Like driving a bus over someone together. We all decided it was not good. Okay. So it won't so be on the table next Easter. If it's part of your, like, rotation of dishes... Maybe send me your good recipe because we did not like how it was made. (laughs) Oh no! Oh no! Okay. (laughs) Yep. I had to. I had to find out the verdict on on that. Potatoes. (laughs) That's what you know. What that's what he reminds me of. That's what David is. (laughs) He's pineapple and scalloped potatoes. That's how bad he is.
0: Seems like this nice. Idea. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Nope. Once you dig into it. Nope. Nope. Did did not not pan pan out. out. No, sir. Nope. All right. All right, guys. We'll see you next Monday. Monday. Um, And don't be a stranger. Bye. 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 (laughs)